0: Uh, So we're winding up our series in Galatians this morning. For those of you who have been with us since January 15th of this year, we began in this letter, uh, and it's taken all this time. It's been amazing, really, to do verse by verse through the Bible, which is what we normally do here as a church. Um, and, and this particular letter, I, I, again, I think uh, for most of us, for me as your pastor, the guy bringing it most Sundays, it's been remarkable of what God has shown me in this letter about, about the church, about the gospel, uh, about standing firm on the word of God. And, and so what we felt we needed to do at the end of this, because it was so dramatic, uh, is we needed to finish the series with a summary. And so uh, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the subject of authority, which is really a synopsis of the first two chapters of the letter where Paul's defending his his apostolic authority, which was being challenged in Galatia at that time. Still today, his apostolic authority is being challenged uh, for what he's written in the New Testament. And then last week, we looked at the middle two chapters, three and four, and the subject of salvation. And it's remarkable, again, what we we learn from this letter Um, about faith alone by grace alone in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you did, nothing that I can do, that we can do to cause God to love us, accept us, and approve of us. He did it all. This is the gospel. This is the good news. We we don't need to do anything. We can't do anything to save ourselves. He did it all. He did it all. It's the gospel. It's good news. But it also applies to our lives today as Christians, as we're walking with him in the process called sanctification. Sanctification. We really can't do anything about that either, other than be obedient, listen to the Holy Spirit, and as we're going to see today, we're going to look at the last two chapters, and we're going to talk about the subject of holiness. Now, there's a subject for us, right? So we started, the, this, Paul started this particular move towards the application of the letter in chapter 5 and verse 1, where he said this, and it's really the synopsis of the whole letter in one sense, it's the theme, we called it the pursuit of liberty, um, but he says, for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so we saw this as the overall overarching theme of the letter. And that freedom or liberty that Christ has set us free to was from, of course, our yoke of slavery to sin. And specifically, the bondage that law-keeping was as our means of salvation, And that's what the Judaizers who came in, the false teachers who came in to Galatia at that time, were trying to convince people of as well, that you still needed that. But here's what the false teachers did as well with this free grace that God offers in Christ. They kind of made fun of it. They belittled this grace, this unmerited favor, this salvation that Christ provided for us. They ridiculed Paul's gospel that justification was through faith alone in Jesus Christ by suggesting, well, if that's the case, then we can do whatever we want. I mean, mean, if it's just by faith, if there's nothing we have to do, and and he forgives our sins no matter what, well, we can live this life any old way we want to, can't we? That's what the Judaizers, the false teachers were suggesting in that day. But Paul's response was, don't be silly. That's foolish, don't be silly. He asserts that on the one hand, Christians are completely free, but then he urges us to stand firm, right? In this freedom that Christ has set us free unto. And then he adds in verse 13 of chapter five, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. It's kind of like we've been saying through the whole series. Um, I've given you this triangle picture a few times, <clears throat> where, where liberty and freedom is at the top of the triangle. But what we tend to do is we tend to go to one of these two poles in our ability or in our attempt to either save ourselves or sanctify ourselves, and is that we run to license over here, right? Yeah, I can live any old way I want because grace has saved me, so all my sins are forgiven, so, so will the ones that I'm going to commit today, tomorrow, next week. Or legalism, oh, I've sinned, I need to do something. And those are the poles. But Paul says, your Christian liberty is not license. You weren't saved so that you can live however you want. In fact, what Paul's going to teach us here today, I think we're going to see in conclusion, is that you're going to want to live for Christ. You're going to want to be holy. And so in verse 14, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And So what we really learned in this freedom thing more than anything was. We're free from so that we can be free to. We can be free to not live the way we want, but to live for Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So then the Christian life from the point of our salvation really, really isn't the pursuit of liberty and freedom. We have it. It's the pursuit of holiness. That, I think, should be the pursuit of the Christian life. In fact, I would suggest to you, it's exactly what the scripture teaches. And so like we asked questions last week, we're always asking questions here at The Rock, it's a good thing, how how can we be saved? Last week when we were looking at salvation, how how can we be saved? How is it possible for me to be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? Well, we beat that doing part up last week pretty good, didn't we? Well, we need to ask similar questions today. How is it possible to become holy? How do I, an imperfect sinning man, person, how do I become holy? Why? Listen, ask, ask this question. Why would anybody, anybody want to be holy? So I want to give you a bit of a three-part outline for today. Look at this. We're going to see why be holy, how to be holy, and then what holy people do. Why be holy? It's an important question. Second, how to be holy, and then what do holy people do? So first, why to be holy? thought about this. I'm thinking a lot of non-Christian people in this world today, <clears throat> I, I think I thought of this, this way when I was younger, uh, they look at the whole idea of holiness, and, and it, it's kind of a turnoff, you know? Um, th- there's a perception, and you know, we Christians, I think to a certain extent, are, are part of the problem <laughs> for, for how they might think about holiness. Now, I grew up as a, a young boy in Toronto on a street called Bowood Avenue, and I'm very important to our family, this family house we grew up in. And uh, I was raised Catholic and, and, you know, went to church occasionally with my mom. She would drag me there and we would go to church. And, but we lived on the street in North Toronto, which all the homes were like, like very small lots, 25-foot lots, 200 feet deep, three-story homes, right? And they're all boxed together one after the other. It's a beautiful neighborhood. It really was. It was blue-collar when I grew up there. My dad was a construction worker. Today it's BMWs, right? And they've all been torn down and rebuilt. It's amazing. But in that day, just a few doors up from our house, there was this one building, which was a house, but it was converted. It was a church, okay? It was actually a church. And, and the, this church, tr- I don't know what they, I can't remember, I tried to Google it to find out what church was in there, couldn't find it because it's gone. I, can't, I don't know if they were Christian, I don't know if they were Mormon, JWs, I don't know what they were. But what I do remember is this, is that twice a week, Sunday night and Tuesday nights, cars would pull into the street. And it was, it was this is funny, but it's, it's weird. My mother or one of the neighboring people would say, here come the holy rollers. Yeah, that's what they would call them, the holy rollers. And they would pull up in their cars, and the ladies would get out, and they'd always, you know, hairs and buns, and typically they would have a scarf or, or um, I called it a doily, but it was lace over their, over their hair, right? And, and <clears throat> uh, very long dresses. I don't think you could even see the ankles. Um, and, and their daughters were all dressed in the tunics, and, and all the men, including the boys, black pants, white shirts, skinny black ties, very large Bibles. That was my perception as a kid of holy. And it helped when my mother said they were the holy rollers, right? It was actually kind of weird. Sometimes my mom and dad would be out on the porch having a beer, and, and these people would start pulling up. My mom would hide the beer. I don't know. It was it's very strange. You wouldn't do that, would you? Hypocrite. I think another perception people have about holiness is it's about what Christians do not do, or holy people do not do, right? You're holy if you do not do this list of things. I don't know if you've ever heard this one. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go go with girls who do, right? That's an old one, okay? And, And I know these things. It's crazy. I got a whole list of them for you. But seriously... Avoiding drinking, smoking, obviously, and dancing. That was another woman. I first became a Christian, I heard, well, you can't dance anymore. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, I'm a bad dancer anyway. But these are the things that you can So non-Christians, I think they look at this. Our perception of what is holy sometimes is what we cannot do. And so even though some Christians present a holier-than-thou attitude, or are at least perceived that way, holiness is actually a biblical, a scriptural teaching. It's a mandate that we're to be holy. Um, The scripture, the word holy, is used in various times and occurrences throughout the Bible 600 times. Now, there's a book of the Bible that all of you look forward to every year when we're doing reading through the Bible. You know, it's called the Book of Leviticus, right? You all love that book, but do you realize it is an amazingly beautiful book because its theme is holiness. Holiness. The point of the law, the point of the things that God is asking the people of Israel to do and to keep and the commands and all the laws because they reflect his holiness. And in fact, we understand that from Leviticus 11.44 where God says, be holy as I am holy. And so that's the command. So for many true Christians, however, it sometimes also means this, unattainable perfection right? And it fosters either delusion or discouragement about one's sin. We can become very discouraged when we look at ourselves honestly, reflect in the mirror, and say, you know what? I am far from holy. It's actually not a bad place to be, but that's not where Christ or the Holy Spirit wants you to be. And so Paul gave a great answer to the question of why be holy in his letter to the Galatians. He said this in chapter 5 again, verses 16 and 17, about how to be holy. He says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so this is so subtle, but I think it's very profound. Um, The weak and carnal Christian is always feeling defeated. If that sinful nature, if the flesh is not being put to death in our lives, we're always going to feel defeated, and we are remaining a Christian but carnal. They have bought the lie that all people, Christian and non, are in this perpetual battle with their sinful nature, and that therefore their natural tendency, their natural inclination is that the desires of the flesh are what they really want to do. I mean, after all, you could stand back and say, well, look at me. You're like, obviously, this is what I want to do because I keep doing it. Actually, Christian, this is a lie. It's not true. What Paul, what the Holy Spirit wants you to know and believe and trust here is that yes, yes, there's a big time battle going on here between the flesh and the Spirit in you. It's a challenge. You know, it, you, here's a warning to anyone here today who's not a Christian yet. Well, it's not a warning. Be a Christian. Trust Jesus. Come to Christ. Come on. But, but we've got to be honest with you. We just can't make it sound like it's going to be rosy. The reality is the moment you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is going to come in to you and live with you and reside inside of you. And you know what's going to happen? That battle is going to start. You're going to get confused at first. You might feel the presence of the Holy Spirit first, an amazing sense, an overwhelming sense of holiness and beauty that comes from him. That's him assuring you he has come to live inside you. Then the battle is going to begin. And it goes on for most, for most of us for, for the rest of our lives. And so it's a lie, it's a, but there is this big time battle going on between the desires of the flesh and the spirit. So look at these verses again. The tense and the propositional statement in this is important. It is the desires of the flesh that are keeping you, look at this, from what you really want to do. That's the way this is structured. So it's, it's this sinful nature, the desires of the flesh, that are keeping you from what actually you really want to do as a Christian. That's the tension. And what do you really want to do? Well, you want to walk by the Spirit. You want to pursue holiness. You might argue with that, battle with that from time to time. Hey, I got the t-shirt, I understand, but that's actually what you really want to do. So the tension that you and I feel is this. If you're truly born again, we now know who we truly are. We have sensed that our identities have changed. Our allegiances have changed. We're different. Our identities have been restored to the image that God originally intended for you and I, which is to be holy like he is holy. So that is why we want to be holy. The Apostle Peter also wrote something very helpful on this subject. He said in uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 13 to 16, in his first letter, he said, Therefore, I love these words. We could, I, I thought about this as I was reviewing it last night. I need to do a sermon on this. <laughs> Just these verses. It's amazing stuff. Beautiful what he says. Preparing your minds. Look at, the, look at the diligence and the work that's being put into this. For action. And then look at this. Being. It's about being a Christian first and foremost before we do anything of value for the kingdom. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, here's Leviticus, By Peter in the New Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Uh, Jerry Bridges, uh, I don't know if any of you know him as an author, but he wrote what many people uh, consider to be the best book on the pursuit of holiness. If there's one application that I can give to you before I begin summer vacation, uh, and as maybe some of you are looking for reading for the summer, buy his book. Please, if you haven't read this book, buy this book. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Uh, And it is is powerful. It's a powerful book. If you want to know how to pursue holiness, this book will be very helpful to you along with the book. And that's where he gets everything that he teaches from. But he summarizes this statement that I'm making here about holiness, about how to be holy and why to be holy. He says this in his book. Thirteen words is kind of his summary. He says this. Holiness is not only expected... By whom? By your Savior. The one who died for you. By your God. But look at this. It is the promised birthright of every Christian. You've you've heard me say this before, Rockstars, on many, many occasions. Your salvation is not a one time thing where you make a decision for Jesus, you don't make the decision, He calls you, and, and you're saved. Done. Got fire insurance, see you later. No. Salvation is a process. You are saved from the penalty of sin when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust him. And and then you need to be saved through the power of the Holy Spirit from the power of sin over you in this life today that wants to pull you back into your sinful nature rather than to pursue holiness. But one day, through the Holy Spirit and the finished work of Jesus Christ, you will be saved from the very presence of sin. Do you know what that means? That means when you're dead and gone, yes, but or when Jesus comes again. But you know what it means? You're in the presence of perfect holiness for the rest of your life. That's beautiful and amazing. So again, why be holy? Three things. Because he's holy. Number one, because since the moment that you were born again, it's who you now are is a holy person. And thirdly, because you want to be. Because that's what you really want to be. That is your overarching desire, is to be holy. So now, how to be holy? This should be fun. Notice I, I chose the word "be holy" and not "act holy," right? Because that's what the legalists want. That's what the Pharisees wanted, right? They were like, "Yeah, we you need Jesus, you need faith, but come on, you got to act holy. <laughs> you got to you got to act like a Christian. You got to do things." Right? And that's so easy for us, isn't it? I'll show up for church, I'll show up for missional community group, I'll serve in, in some way, <clears throat> but you know, while I'm doing that, I'm going to be Christian. And then I go back to regular scheduled programming called Life, and things aren't exactly that way. And that was the context in Galatia. The false teachers wanted to emphasize law-keeping, <clears throat> which is purely about outward performance. So how then is it possible for you and I, look, to become holy... Let's begin again with Paul's words in 5.16. He says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, you might remember when we went through this passage a couple months ago, um, maybe six weeks ago, actually, um, I, I made the point that Paul didn't say this. He didn't say, walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? Because that, that's a really important language. Because if he had said that, the false teachers might have went, oh, okay, good now Paul's t- talking about what we need to do. Right? Again, it would be wrong. It'd be the wrong way for us to look at that. And the, I think the religious among us, and certainly in Paul's Galatia, we're always looking for ways to show that they can somehow save themselves or at least sanct- sanctify themselves. Truth is, good news is, you cannot. I cannot. We cannot. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God that we have faith that we can be saved and be sanctified. So Paul's emphasis here in 5.16 is to say this, is to say this, that if we're being led by the Holy Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We will not go back to our sinful nature. What will we be doing instead? What would, we, what would be the opposite that we'd be doing? Not you know, not doing certain things, attempting to act holy. No, we would be pursuing the desires of the Holy Spirit. Is that obvious? Or am I just simpleton? Like, I just figured that out. That's obviously what it's saying, isn't it? Follow Him. Follow Him. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Instead, you'll gratify the desires of the Holy Spirit, which is what we want to do. So now look at the the verses 16 and 17 back on the screen again together. We saw this weeks ago, but let's unpack it further. Paul says the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other. So there's the battle, right? The flesh and the spirit, they're opposed to each other. There's this battle going on. For you and I to be on the winning side of this battle, here's what we need to see which will help us learn how to be holy. First, both the spirit and the flesh have very strong desires. Very strong desires. Now, originally, or in some translations, that word desires is translated lusts or lust, right? It doesn't quite work today in our culture because as soon as I say that word, most people go, oh, it's, he's talking sex. It's about sexual or whatever. No, actually, a better translation than even desires in the ESV, which is what I'm using, would be the words together over desire. And that's the most important first thing to know. Add that to this. It's an over-desire often for something good, not necessarily bad things. Let me put it this way. Sex is good, right? Anybody? Married people, please respond. Okay. The rest of you, don't put your hands up. Okay, all right, it's good. It's a good thing. It's good, but an over-desire leads to problems, does it not? It leads to problems. And you remember that wonderful list that Paul gave us, Right? Remember that wonderful list? And I'm going to put it on screen for us one more time. It's a wonderful list of the sins of the flesh, isn't it? The desires of the flesh. It says this in verses 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, or another word would be obvious. These are works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. (laughs) things like these. In other words, this is not a complete list. It should be evident to you what you could add to this list. And then he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we know that what that means is literally those who perpetually and continually. Not if we fall and make a mistake, but people who are perpetually giving themselves. So without the Holy Spirit of God living in us, and hear me, without us submitting and being led by the Holy Spirit, we are without protection in this life today. Men, i got to speak to you specifically here today. Without the Holy Spirit, without if you're not walking by the Holy Spirit and being led by him, you, 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 you're covering, your protection is gone. And you are susceptible. You are susceptible. You need to pray for your leaders in the church. You need to pray. Pastors and men are being taken down all the time by this. All the time. Now here's the second thing we need to see from verses 16 and 17. And I think it's quite beautiful. Think about for a second what the Holy Spirit desires. Think about what He desires. Right? I mean, is it possible for the Holy Spirit to over-desire? Can He over-desire? I mean, the language certainly suggests the Holy Spirit has desires, passions, and yearnings. But how is it possible for the Holy Spirit to over-desire? Well, Paul is not really saying that, but for this reason... His, his desires are infinite and infinitely good so it's impossible to over desire them. It's impossible to over desire what he has for you. Jesus actually tells us in John chapter 14 through 16, three chapters, he tells us what the Holy Spirit desires. He's very clear about it and it may sound a little, you know, self-promoting in this but he tells us what the Holy Spirit desires. He tells us several times in chapter 14 and 15 that his desire is to let you know about me, to teach you everything that I have taught you, to bring to remembrance everything about me. And then he concludes it in chapter 16, verse 14, where he says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the first step in how to be holy is to be led by the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Holy Spirit of God who came to live inside you, the day you trusted Jesus Christ. 5.16, look at this, tells us that we need to walk by the Spirit. 5.18, that we need to be led by the Spirit. 5.25, that we need to keep in step. It's kind of like you need to keep up with Him. Because you start following Him and walking with Him, He's going to go, okay, we're going now. Keep coming. But then when you get into chapter 6, He, he, he says you're going to need to sow in my field. This is the pursuit of holiness, is pursuing Him. And it's beautiful, And all the way, all along that, what he's doing, what he's doing with you and I is he's saying, "Listen, you know what you know what we're pursuing? Jesus. We're pursuing him. the only perfect person who ever lived, the Son of the living God, who came and died for you so that you could have this, this life. And so there is also something that we must do, of course, right? Paul tells us in 524, and this leads to our final point, what holy people do. He says this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So notice that in the past, it's in the past tense. I find that challenging, don't you? They, they have crucified. Have you, have you? Don't raise your hands. Have cr- crucified everything? Of course not. But this is the perception that he wants us to have. He wants us to see it that way. He says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified. He uses the image of the cross that Jesus died on, absorbing all of your sins, all of my sins, the whole world's sins in his body so that you and I could be free to pursue holiness. And again, we have to ask, though, how are we to be holy? Well, listen, as an illustration, let me ask you this. What one thing right now in your life do you have an over-desire for? Think about this. What, what, one, two, three. What, what things do you right now have in your life that you have an over-desire for? What do you think about every day? Something you wish you had, whether it's a person, place, or a thing. Something that you are so consumed about but, but that you rarely find yourself staring and, and at Jesus and pursuing holiness instead and what he is doing in your life and community. The one thing, if an over-desire in your mind for something good is, listen to me, it's the flesh, It's actually sinful if you have an over-desire for it. If you have this over-desire for it. And it's keeping you from being holy unto God. So look back at the list of fleshly things sometime. Look back at that list. And right there in the middle, you're going to find one word that's kind of the key to the whole passage. It's the word idolatry. It's the word idolatry. And we've defined it before. An idol is often a good thing that has become an ultimate thing. And if you lost it or could not have it, well, then life just wouldn't be worth living. That's an idol. You have an over-desire for it. And so let me ask this question. What would be the number one idol, do you think, in our North American culture today that pretty much everybody in this room has as an idol? (laughs) And and certainly, um, even with, when times are really difficult when we're struggling and we're going through suffering and trials, what is that idol? It's one word. You're not going to like it. It's comfort. We want comfort. We want to have all the good things that make us feel good. We don't want any of the pressure. We don't even want the battle. We just want comfort. It's a horrible, horrible idol. So clearly, we must put sin to death in our mortal bodies, nail it to the cross, and leave it there. And so the question is, what's standing in your way? What's standing in your way of doing that? What are you and I often missing about how to be holy? Well, I want to suggest three things. Maybe a fourth will come up, but just three things before we conclude. Number one, we need to be trusting God to change us. We need to be trusting God to change us. Well, I guess maybe first we need to recognize we still need changing. Right? We still need to pursue holiness and be changed. The whole letter has been about the true, one true gospel, which is that we are saved by grace and faith alone in Jesus. Now that we're saved from the penalty of sin and so forth, you know we, we, we need to be sanctified. We need to grow in our faith, and we need to be holy. Well, the good news in this life is we have the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I know we're a Mennonite brethren church, so that most people, minds means we're not charismatic, ridiculous. Yes, we're charismatic. The Holy Spirit is alive and well today. And in too many churches, we, we, we have no concept of who he is and what he does. But he's the one who's living inside us. And so we need to trust that God will change us. How do we do that? How do you trust that God's going to change you in your pursuit of holiness? Talk to him. Even if, even, if, even when. Talk to him. And he will assure you. Uh, in, his, in his book, uh, Pursuit of Holiness, Jerry Bridges begins with this great story. It's an illustration. He says this. A farmer plows his field, sows the seed, and fertilizes and cultivates. All the while knowing that in the final analysis, he is utterly dependent on forces outside of himself. He knows that he can't cause the seed to germinate, nor can he produce the rain or the sunshine for growing, and even the harvesting of the crop if those things don't take place. For a successful harvest, he is dependent on these things completely from God. Yet the farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow the field, to plant in it, to fertilize it or care for it, and cultivate it, he can't expect a harvest at the end of the season. In a sense, he is in partnership with God, and he will reap its benefits only when he has fulfilled his responsibilities. Listen, for God to change you and I, you will need to do your part in pursuing holiness. Crucify Nail it to the cross. The other thing is that the truth changes you. The truth changes you. John says in chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. <laughs> You've got the manual. It's the word of God. Even Leviticus. It's the word of God. It's powerful stuff. Thirdly, and you're really going to love this one, God uses trials and sufferings to purify you, to purify you like gold so that you can be holy. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, Paul writes, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope is holiness that we're pursuing. So what do holy people do? I've only got a few minutes to, to craft this for you and to give you some idea. Uh, I think you probably know, so let me uh, do this to encourage you as I believe the Holy Spirit would want to do. First, you and I need to be pursuing holiness before we can do anything meaningful for the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't discount the fact that many people who, when they first come to Jesus, right, first get saved, they're the most amazing evangelists on the planet, right? Well, that's because the change that's taken place in them is really significant. And all of the sinful nature, all of that stuff is like, I want nothing to do with that. Give me six months. Hmm. Things begin to change. And so what do we do? Well, it's about identity. I think in the church today we often miss this, that Jesus gave actually three commands to go. You all know the one in Matthew 28, right? I, we, as a church, you know, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, do, make, teach, obey, right? We know that one really, really well. That's about doing. But it's clear from Matthew 5 that Jesus wants you to understand that to go, you need to be first. Remember what they're called at the beginning of chapter 5? They're called the Beatitudes, right? The Sermon on the Mount, what he he preached, it's beautiful. And a little study for you you can do this week. Um, We won't have time, obviously, but look at the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit, pardon me, of the Spirit, not plural, fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians chapter 5, and, and look at the Beatitude character traits of kingdom dwellers. It's an amazing parallel and comparison if you look at it. And so we're blessed and and we're happy, but it's all about because we are being this poor in spirit, mournful over sin, meek, hungry for holiness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and oh boy, there it is again because we're being persecuted. Then does Jesus say, okay, now go and make disciples? No. He says, now what you need to do is go and be anybody? Salt and light. It's about being. Those character traits, if we possess all of those character traits, those B attitudes, we're holy people who need to go into this world and bless them. The other, the other being is, and command is actually in Acts 1.8, where he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, first of all, in your own backyard, first of all, and then to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Let me leave you with a, a short little illustration as an encouragement as you go here today. And you go into this summer. I want to encourage you to be holy. Buy the book. Read the book. But, but listen to this. There was a point in time in Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 18 where he was very discouraged. Paul. Why would he be discouraged? People hated him. He'd been preaching the gospel. People have been rejecting the gospel. He'd been whipped and scourged. He's afraid at this point to go out and preach the gospel. He's afraid for his life. And he's wondering, is this going to work? This is terrible. And we read in Acts chapter uh, 18, verses 9 to 11, these words. And it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. Remember from Galatians, friends, this. Paul said, I didn't hear these words, this gospel, from any man. I got it by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Here is evidence in Acts that Dr. Luke is recording that Paul got visions directly from Jesus. And Jesus said these words to him. Do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for listen, I have many people in this city who are my people. Hmm. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Do you need a vision from Jesus to convince you to be holy? Do you need a vision from Jesus to be salt and light in this community? Friend, I want to encourage you. I know, I know that there's a lot of things to do. But ask yourself this. If I'm pursuing Christ, if he's in front of me, he's right there in front of me, and if I've got the Holy Spirit in me, and I'm walking with the Holy Spirit, and I'm being led by the Holy Spirit, he's calling you to sow. He's calling you to sow. Tell people about Jesus this summer. Tell people about... Anyone ever played the, the, the card game Concentration? You know, if you take a number like a 10, and then you got to keep flipping over cards until you find your number. Let me give you the number 10 today. Or pick a number. And then go. Tell people about Jesus. There'll be a lot of cards out there that will reject you. That won't be the number 10. But then when you run into number 10, you're going to be like, oh. Jesus said go and make disciples. Does that not mean that he expected that you would? and that there would be disciples for you to find? Be holy, because he is holy. Pray with me, would you?